Well, we're going to read the Bible together now, and we're turning to Matthew's Gospel, to Matthew chapter 22. You'll find our reading this morning on page 872 of the Pew Bibles, page 872. Uh, We've been working our way through a series called Summer Stories, thinking about the parables of Jesus, a couple of parables of Jesus, and we're thinking this morning about another parable. It's the parable of the wedding feast, as Jesus tells it in Matthew 22. So we're reading Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14. It's page 872 of the Pew Bibles, and this is God's word to us. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast." But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads, and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can." And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place... There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 22. You'll find it on page 827 of the Pew Bibles, page 827. And as you're turning to that passage with me, let's pray for a moment together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's simple for us to understand. We thank you that it's clear in that it gives clear instructions about what we're to do and how we're to live. But we realize that it demands a response. And so we pray this morning as we look at this parable together, you would come by your spirit to help us to understand your simple and clear word so that we might respond properly, perhaps for the first time, to the Lord Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, another week, another parable. Uh, We're continuing our summer series, uh, summer story series. And this week we're moving over to Matthew's gospel and to a parable that Jesus tells in chapter 22. Uh, You can group the parables of Jesus in lots of different ways. One very helpful way of grouping them is is to think of them like this. There are some parables about entering God's kingdom. There are some about growing in God's kingdom. There are some about living in God's kingdom. And there are some about finishing in God's kingdom. Entering, growing, living, and finishing. 
Uh, This morning, the parable that we're looking at from Matthew 22 is about entering God's kingdom. And what we mean by entering God's kingdom is that it's a parable that tells us about how we we can become a Christian. It's a parable that tells us about what it means to trust and follow Jesus for the first time. Uh, Following the death of the queen, countless stories were told about her. Uh, I told this story, the story that I'm about to tell after her death and funeral, but it ties in very neatly with the passage in front of us this morning. Uh, Every legislative session in Parliament begins with a visit from the reigning monarch, and it's a very regal tradition. The monarch wears their crown and robes and processes down a hallway with some guards. Uh, The hallway ends at the House of Lords, where the monarch enters to take their seat on the throne and uh, commissions the legislators to enact the will of the people. Several years ago and before the Queen died, some, uh, some accommodations had to be made for the Queen in her older age. There's a grand staircase leading to the hallway and it, be- it became too much for her to climb, so it was decided that she would use the lift instead. The first year she used the lift, the lift operator pushed the wrong button. Uh, rather than the entrance to Parliament, he pressed the button for the maintenance floor. The lift goes up, the doors open, and Alice, one of the cleaners, pushes her cleaning trolley into the lift as she normally does. Only this time, Alice has pinned the queen against the wall of the small lift. The doors close behind her. There's an awkward silence, which is broken by uncontrollable laughter from the queen. What followed was the most remarkable invitation. Rather than opening the doors to let Alice off, the queen asked the lift operator to take them down to the proper floor. So the doors open, and to everyone's shock, out walks the Queen and Alice, the cleaner. Then the Queen, in her regalia, along with Alice in her cleaning uniform, walk side by side down the royal hallway. It gets even better. Once a year for the rest of Alice's life, she was invited to Buckingham Palace for high tea with her newfound friend, Queen Elizabeth II. The cleaner received a -a once-in-a-lifetime invitation It was an invitation she didn't expect, but was delighted to receive and accept. All of us get invitations, whether it's an invitation to a wedding or a birthday party, an anniversary party, a work function, an award ceremony. We know what it's like to receive an invitation. Whether we accept the invitation or not mainly comes down to whether or not we can go, whether or not the the, the time or date suits But normally, we have to RSVP either way. We have to let the people that have invited us to whatever it is know whether or not we're going to attend. Every week when you come to church, and this is especially true for you if you're not a Christian, every week when you come to church, you receive an invitation. It's a very plain one, very simple, very clear one. It's an invitation from Jesus to come to him. In this parable, in this ancient story, Jesus invites us to enter his kingdom, to come to know him, to trust in him, to believe in him, to follow him. And the question this parable is going to ask you is, what will my response be? That's the issue at the heart of this parable. What will your response be to the summons from the king? This parable comes at an interesting point in Matthew's gospel. If you glance in your Bibles back to the beginning of Matthew 22, you'll see that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. So the king, the true Messiah, rides into the city in which he'll die. After that, Jesus goes to the temple and he cleanses it. 
after the triumph of Palm Sunday comes the trouble, becomes trouble because the religious leaders of the day don't like what Jesus is up to and they challenge his authority in verses 23 to 27. In response, Jesus tells some parables which are, are really a, a withering judgment on the religious elite of the day. He doesn't hold back. He knows that their greatest need is to enter his kingdom and to trust in him and he tells stories with that application. What is the Pharisees' problem though? They're upset with what Jesus is doing. He's turning their world upside down. He's challenging the status quo. But their hearts are revealed to us twice in chapter 22, uh, in chapter 21. So in verse 26, we're told that they're careful in their response to Jesus because they're afraid of the crowd. And then we read exactly the same thing in Matthew 21, verse 46. It says, And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. They feared the crowds. They feared man more than God. It was a barrier to them arresting Jesus, but it was also a barrier to them trusting in Jesus. They didn't want to admit to him and to the crowd that his way was the true way. Do you know, that could be a perfect description of your spiritual standing this morning. Who, who do you fear more today? God or man? Who, who or what is stopping you from trusting in Jesus? The fear of man, the fear of what your spouse, your children, your mum or dad, your work colleagues might think of you. Well, what we have in this parable is a gracious invitation from the King of Kings to enter his kingdom. And we're asked to RSVP as soon as possible. So how are you going to respond? Let, let, let's look at the parable together. We've got this invitation to enter Jesus' kingdom but we need to know a little bit more about it. This parable helps us with that. We're going to ask three questions that will take us through our next summer story. Question one is, what is the kingdom like? Question two is, who is the kingdom for? And question three is, how can the kingdom be entered? Let's start with question one. What is the kingdom like? Well, the answer is in verse two. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. So what is the kingdom like? It's like a wedding feast. And it's like a wedding feast that has been, pre been prepared by a king. This is not a feast that has been organized on the cheap. This has been organized by royalty. And it's also a feast organized by the king for his son. And that means that it's an even more significant celebration. Jesus says nothing about the preparations for the feast, but that you, you can assume that the king went to a lot of trouble for his son. The point, perhaps, is that the, 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 is that the kingdom of God is a place of abundance. It's not, a, it's not a barren place like a desert. It's a place of abundance. There's nothing lacking there. As verse 4 tells us, dinner has been prepared. The oxen and fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. The kingdom, of, uh, the, the kingdom is a place of abundance. And it's also a place of satisfaction. It's a place where our spiritual appetites are fulfilled. What is the kingdom like? It's, it's like a feast. Uh, a lot of the time we have the impression that the kingdom of heaven or, or the kingdom of God is, is really dull and boring. We tend to think that when we're a bit younger, that it's just like being at church every day, someone talking for ages and ages about things that we don't really understand or care about. But that's not what the kingdom is like. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast to his son. The thing about the feast is that it's organized by a gracious God. Did you notice how many times people are invited to the wedding feast? 
So they're invited in verse 3, verse 4, verse 8, and verse 9. The one in charge of the kingdom is gracious. He wants people to be there. That's because he's there too. The organizer of the feast is actually the reason to go. Uh, At the end of Revelation, John writes that God himself will be with them as their God in the new heaven and new earth, in in the perfect kingdom of God. God is a God who is gracious, and it's in him that our deepest longings are satisfied. What kind of things do we long for in life? Love, joy, peace, rest, fulfillment. All things that God provides through his gospel. All things that God provides when we look to him. All things that God will provide in his kingdom. Listen to Psalm 16, 11. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There will be pleasures forevermore at the great feast that God is planning in eternity. What we've got to realize is that the world offers us counterfeits. Uh, Some of you will have been on holiday and you'll have seen those markets that sell really good things at really cheap prices. The kinds of places that have signs that say genuine fakes sold here. The kinds of places where you can buy a Rolex safe in the knowledge that you definitely haven't bought a Rolex. That's what the world is like. It offers us a counterfeit. So where the world promises light, it delivers darkness. Where the world promises riches, it delivers bankruptcy of the soul. Where it promises abundance, it delivers a desert. Where it promises life, it delivers death. The world's pleasures are temporary, superficial, and will ultimately separate us from God if we live for them. It's often said that that, that it's often said that the people who are most successful are often the people who are the most unhappy. An author called Jack Higgins, who, who once wrote a best-selling novel which became a Hollywood film, once said, I wish someone had told me that when one gets to the top, that there's nothing there. I wish that someone had told me that when one gets to the top, that there's nothing there. The world offers us so much but delivers little. What we've got to ask ourselves is, are we living for the world or are we living for the Lord? We've got to ask ourselves that even if we're Christians. Where are you finding your hope and rest this morning? Well, what is the kingdom like? It's like a feast and it's a place of abundance and satisfaction. And the organizer of the feast, the one in charge of the kingdom, well, he's gracious. The best part of the, about the kingdom is that he himself is there. What is the kingdom like? Who is the kingdom for? That, that's our second question. Look at verses two and three. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Verse three gives us the impression that an initial invite had already been sent out, sort of a save the date, and that this was just a follow-up invitation or a reminder. And that makes sense, of course, because these were the days before phones and calendars and so on. Normally, if you got an invitation like this, you would be excited to go. But there's no excitement. No one is thrilled. Now, remember, Jesus is speaking here to the Pharisees. And what he's saying is that it's weird and bizarre that they, the religious people who are supposed to know all about God and his ways, it's weird and bizarre that they haven't responded to the invitation. It's almost as though Jesus says, do you know, this is what you're like. You get an invitation 
and you're stubborn, stubborn and you're ignorant and you're rude. You're like people who have been invited, but they're not willing to come. And because you're not willing to come, I'm going to open the doors for anyone and everyone to come in. And that's what the king in the parable does. But first he gets his servants to tell those initially invited what has been prepared. Verses 5 and 6 say, But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm and other to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. There are two groups here, but their settled position is the same. There are some who, who casually refuse the kingdom. They've got other priorities, the farm, the business. They just don't care. Thank you so much, but I've got other stuff to do. And then there are some people who are openly hostile to the kingdom. They're the kind of people who are religious, but they're hostile to the truth. They're still in church, but they find the gospel offensive. Both responses are the same. Both reject the invitation. We're told that the king is angry at the rejection and that he sent his troops and destroyed those who murdered and burned their city. In this parable, Jesus is ultimately showing us what happens to people who refuse his invitation. And it's pretty sobering. He uses language that was used in the Old Testament for judgment. And he says, this is what happens if you don't RSVP. On the back of the rejection, look at what the king orders his servants to do in verse 9. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. The doors are thrown open for anyone and everyone to, to, to come in. Who is the kingdom for? Well, it's for everyone. No matter what class or creed, everyone is invited. That's repeated for us in verse 10. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. The bad and the good are invited in. What Jesus speaks of here is the fact that the gospel is open to everyone rather than a specific group of people. Well, what's the most surprising thing about the Queen's invitation to Alice the Cleaner? It's their different status, isn't it? The Queen was the Queen, Alice was the Cleaner. In normal circumstances, they would never meet and they would never spend time together. But yet the Queen opened Buckingham Palace to somebody different. And this is kind of what the Kingdom of God is like. It's open to all kinds of people. Good question to ask yourself is, do I think the same as Jesus when it comes to who the kingdom is for? Do you really believe that the kingdom is for everyone? Or do you think that it's just for people like us? That's actually a really challenging question to ask because it makes you think about who you talk to about the gospel. Are there some people on the one hand that you'll talk to about Jesus? And are there some people on the other hand that you won't talk to about Jesus? Everyone is invited to the feast. That's what this parable teaches. That's what we've got to understand as believers, as we think about the kingdom and as we think about church. What you've also got to hear, if you're not a Christian this morning, is that Jesus is ruling no one out. It's as the old hymn says, the vilest offender who truly believes a pardon from Jesus will receive, or that, that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. The, the kingdom is for broken, sinful people. It's for people who are weary and who need rest. It's for those who feel alone and want community. It's for all who mourn and long for comfort. It's for all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares. It's for all those who want strength and peace. And it's for all those who, who sin and need a saviour. And the doors of the kingdom have been thrown wide open. It's open to everyone. Jesus rules no one out. 
So if you're not a Christian and you're thinking this morning, there's no way, no way that I could enter the kingdom. Jesus wouldn't want me. Well, know that you're invited by him to come to him today. What is the kingdom like? It's like a wedding feast and it's a place of abundance and satisfaction. The organizer of the feast, the one in charge of the kingdom, he's gracious. And the best part about the kingdom is that he himself is there. Who's the kingdom for? Well, it's for everyone. The doors of the kingdom have been thrown open for anyone and everyone to come in. How can the kingdom be entered? That's our final question this morning. And the answer comes at the end of the parable. Don't know about you, but the ending of this parable shocks me. Don't know if it shocked you or, or caught you by surprise when you read it earlier. When you read verses 11 to 14, you kind of think, is that, is that really how the story ends? The scene switches to the wedding feast itself. Verse 11 tells us that the king comes to inspect the wedding guests. We don't know very much about ancient weddings, but a king appearing to meet guests sounds entirely reasonable. And if you think about it, the king in this parable has invited lots of different people in. It makes sense then that he would check them out or he would have a look at them. The end of verse 11 tells us that the king saw there a man who had no wedding garment. Someone has turned up and they're not wearing the right clothes. Most people think the person who has no wedding garment is only interested in the benefits of the kingdom. What he gets out of the invitation, he's not really interested in the cost but he's found out. Look at verses 13 uh, to 12 and 13. And these are verses that should all make us think. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's the point? The point is that you've got to RSVP because you can't crash this party. How can the kingdom be entered? Well, it's only by responding to the king's invitation. This is the thing to remember as we live our lives in, the, in this world. There's a day coming when all things in this world will come to an end. God will call time on history and usher in his perfect kingdom. As we think forward to that great day, to, that, to the end of all things, What's the most important question for us? It's this. Will you be clothed in wedding garments or will you be speechless? Will you be clothed in wedding garments or will you be speechless? Jesus tells this parable, the most loving man who ever lived. And in this parable, he mentions the life to come. The life to come for those who trust in him, but the life to come for those who don't trust in him. In this parable, the king is a strong personality. He's somebody who doesn't tolerate nonsense. You don't have the right clothes on, you're out. Sometimes we have a sanitized view of Jesus in that we think that although he said all this stuff about judgment and eternity, that in the end, he'll be nice and he'll just let us into heaven anyway, even if we haven't trusted in him. Jesus is gentle, meek and mild, but he's also firm. And the terms that he lays down when it comes to being with him in eternity, in his kingdom, are clear. They're simple. If you're wearing wedding garments, if you're clothed in his righteousness, you'll spend eternity with him. But if you're not, you'll be speechless. It won't be because you weren't warned. You've been warned today and once is enough in a sense. 
It'll be because Jesus is true to his word. The most loving man who ever lived is gentle, meek and mild, but he's also really firm. How can the kingdom be entered? What's the answer? Well, you can only enter the kingdom if you're clothed in wedding garments. You can only enter the kingdom by trusting in the king, King Jesus, the one who died on the cross for us, the one who clothes his people in robes of righteousness and brings them into his family. It's only by wearing the righteousness of Christ that we can enter his kingdom. What is the kingdom like? It's like a wedding feast and it's a place of abundance and satisfaction. Who is the kingdom for? It's for everyone. The doors of the kingdom have been, have been thrown open and anyone and everyone can come in. How can the kingdom be entered? Simple, clear, only by trusting in Jesus. There's one verse we haven't mentioned, verse 14. Jesus says, for many are called, but few are chosen. Now, what's he saying there? It's a strange ending to the parable. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let me tell you what he's not saying first. He's not talking about numbers. So he's not telling us how many people are going to be in heaven. What he is saying is that it'll take a miracle for us to enter the kingdom. A miracle. That's the thing about being a Christian. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that I have trusted in Christ. It's a miracle that you have trusted in Christ. There's nothing about us that would draw God in our direction. There's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves that will get his attention and change our standing before him. We've sinned against God. We've gone our own way. But in mercy, he has worked in our lives. He has shown us grace. He has convicted us of sin and brought us to repentance and to trust in King Jesus. He seeks, he searches, he finds. We saw that in Luke 15, and it's the same thing here. Could it be this morning that God is graciously working in your heart, speaking to you, inviting you to accept his invitation? Well, what you've got to know this morning is that hearing the call of God on your life and knowing, his, knowing about his grace is not the same as responding to him. You can listen to someone like me preaching and hear what you have to do. You can know the gospel in your mind, but stop short of responding to Jesus. In the parable, there's an initial response from the guest. Yes, we'll be there. We'll come. But when it comes to the actual wedding feast, they're nowhere to be seen. It's not enough to hear the invitation. It's not enough to receive the invitation. You've got to respond to it. You've got to RSVP because you can't crash this party. That's our third summer story. Luke 15, 1 to 10, lost sheep, lost coin. Luke 15, 11 to 32, two lost sons. Matthew 22, an invitation to a wedding feast, to a party. Stories about things that are lost. Stories about things that are found. Stories that invite us to trust in Jesus for the first time. Stories that invite us to robe ourselves in the righteousness of Christ and be found with him at that great feast. Who is the, what, what is the kingdom like? It is and it will be a wedding feast. Who is the kingdom for? Everyone and anyone. How can the kingdom be entered? By trusting in the host of the feast, King Jesus. But remember this, you've got to RSVP because you can't crash this party. Let's pray together.
Father, we thank you for your word. This parable is simple, it's clear, and it demands a response. And so we pray that by your spirit, you would help us all to respond in faith, that we would look to Jesus, trust him, follow him, serve him. But we pray that you'd speak to those who haven't yet trusted in Christ, that they might trust in him and be robed in his righteousness for the first time this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.